is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. shifted this week. It wasn't just Joe Biden's new foreign policy speech, which put Saudi Arabia, Russia and China on notice. The real shift came in a Moscow courtroom where Alexei Navalny was sentenced to 2.8 years in jail. After the sentencing, Navalny addressed the court, but with one audience in mind. He reminded the court that he'd already been exonerated for this crime. So why was he there? The explanation, he says, has to do with one man. I mortally offended him by surviving. Then, someone, then something truly terrifying happened. I participated in the investigation of my own poisoning, and we proved, in fact, that Putin, using Russia's federal security services, was responsible for this attempted murder. And that's driving this thieving little man in his bunker out of his mind. He's simply going insane as a result. And then he goes on to say that uh, murder is the only way he knows how to fight. He'll go down in history as nothing but a poisoner, and poisoner of underpants, actually. Navalny um, touched a nerve, and clearly Putin reacted in a big way, arresting thousands of opposition leaders in the last few days. Many are still in jail, many are under home arrest. And uh, police also raided Navalny's doctor's office and home. We'll show you that a little bit later on in the show. So Russia is on the brink of major change, and that's what we're talking about today, with three of the best minds in the business who can talk about this. We're joined tonight by Craig Unger and Yuri Schwetz, who we've spoken to before, and there they are. Uh, Craig's there just below me, and uh, Yuri on the other side of Luke Harding, who's also here tonight from London. You're our first London guest, Luke. How are you doing? <laughs> welcome to Lon welcome from London. Uh, we've never had yeah, an yeah, international guest like that. Great, great to connect in uh, horrible times. Right. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, Luca, as everyone knows, is one of the world's best foreign correspondents. He was the Moscow bureau chief uh, for the Guardian newspaper. And you also went up against uh, Putin and maybe touched a nerve. And that didn't end so well for, for you in terms of being able to stay there. Uh, no, no. I mean, it was. I mean, the thing is, you have to be sort of clear that the real heroes actually in the story are, are Russians, opposition. Um, politicians, activists, and so on. But 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 somehow I got under Vladimir Putin's skin and ended up with my being uh, deported out of the country in 2011 after four pretty torrid years where we were bugged and tailed and I was sort of followed around the icy streets of Moscow by very unpromising young men right. um, wearing cheap leather jackets. But but actually, since since then, it's got a lot darker. It does seem like it's gotten a lot darker. There seems to be a real authoritarian bent that he's on right now. Uh, and you write a lot about that in, in your book, The Shadow State. We'll talk a lot about that later on in the show. And Craig and Yuri, welcome back. It's good to have you guys here because we have lots of good questions from our audience. Uh, you guys have been uh, traveling around. Uh, how's, how's the book uh, reception gone so far? It's been terrific. We uh, hit number 11 on the Times, New York Times bestseller list. Oh, congratulations. And also on one, of, one of the Wall Street Journal's list, their ebook list. Uh, so it's going very well, and it's exciting. And of course, the travel is virtual. So that means I'm still in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to do things these days. Um, let's talk a little bit about Navalny and what's going on in, in Russia right now. It certainly feels to me like Putin is is on the precipice of something that might seem like the end of his career. But, uh, you know, he's, you can't count that man out. What do you think, Craig? Do you think he's, uh, he's done or do you think he's just going to just uh, suppress everything that comes up against him? 
Well, certainly things have changed enormously in the last few months. Obviously, uh, uh, Trump's value has diminished enormously, if not, and, and you have to wonder what's going to happen with that. Um, and uh, with Navalny, the, the, um, the country's in an uproar. And I think it's very, very fluid situation. And I'm a reporter on this. I'm really not a Russia specialist. And one of my sources is right here <laughs> as well. So I, I think he can, Yuri can take it a little further than I can. Yeah. So Yuri, you, you know the mind of, of, uh, of Putin and certainly the way they think in, in Russia. What is your sense of, of uh, how they're going to play this out? Well, now we have a different Putin from what used to be just a year ago. Uh, I have a strong feeling that... Uh, he is losing it, mm -hmm. and uh, the power in uh, Kremlin is in transition from Putin to uh, probable successors. Unfortunately, the front runner for succession uh, is the KGB, chaired politically by Nikolai Patrushev, uh, the chairman of National Security Council. Uh, Putin, I strongly believe, is sick. He's sick physically and uh, he is sick mentally and it's this deteriorates basically. Hmm. Uh, we, we haven't seen so much of that in public. Okay. How do we know that? How, how are you aware of that? Uh, well, there are strong indications, you know, <laughs> there are so-called intelligence indicators, hmm. which uh, you see, if you understand, if you are, know the country or you know the institution, uh, you need to be kind of expert on what you're talking about. Uh, for instance, a uh, couple of years ago, one Moscow uh, daily, uh, owned by a Russian billionaire who lives in London, Mr. Lebedev, published a story about Putin having an affair with uh, his future wife, um, Kabaeva. And as a result, the newspaper was shut down. Billionaire fled to London, where he stays until now. And correspondent who published this article is still outside of the Russia, of Russia, afraid to come back. Now, since about February of uh, 2020, you have people spreading openly uh, on uh, Russian sources of mass media who are run by Gazprom, for example, that people is sick that, uh, you know, and he's mentally sick. And in Russia, like it was in the Soviet Union, the state of health of a top guy is like in any authoritarian state. It's right. a number one secret, uh, top secret, because it all depends on one guy. One guy is sick, the whole bureaucratic system starts shaking, trembling, and finally goes down. So this is just indicator number one. Uh, as far as Navalny is concerned, uh, there is no doubt that all assassinations inside Russia, I mean, with use of uh, such things as polonium, uh, Novichok, so these assassinations in the past, until recently, couldn't have happened without Putin's direct authorization. This includes poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in London, uh, poisoning of Skripal's family, uh, in um, Salisbury, but I strongly believe that in this particular case, it was Patrushev group who poisoned Navalny. <laughs> Apparently, well, Putin is responsible ultimately for this because he created this system. 
it's just slipping under his control. And I strongly believe that he is sitting in the bunker, bunker not be just because of uh, coronavirus uh, or something else, but because he himself is afraid that his former bodies would come back to, to see him with Novichok or Polonia, something like that. So he literally However, is it a bunker? That's really where he is? I, I, I mean, th well, that's that's the yeah, that's the joke that Alexei Navalny makes all the time, calling him kind of grandpa in the bunker yeah. or the, the little the little thief in the but bunker. Is what he said like, this week. Yes, it's it's a it's a popular joke in Russia, and uh, Putin has done anything to disavow to say no, I'm not in bunker here. I am. No, sometimes he jumps out uh, on a stage stage show, and then he goes back. Apparently, he is. Uh, most of the time in this bunker, which shows to me that he controls some part of the security apparatus, such as federal, uh, federal um, uh, security service, which is equ equivalent to uh, um, to secret service in the United States. Right. Uh, he apparently controls part of this apparatus, which is enough for him to secure where he is perimeter of that place, but it's not enough, for instance, to go after the guys who ridicule him publicly, who laugh at him in uh, Russian mass media, and millions of people are watching this, so the, <laughs> it's a kind of status quo, and uh, the Russian as a state in this situation is just, it reminds me, uh, the time of 1989, so shortly before collapse of this Soviet bureaucratic government system. So in terms of the economy as well, they're also facing a lot of isolation. Go ahead, jump in there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I think what Yuri says is, is uh, absolutely um, interesting, but I, I would just caution that I, I really don't think the regime is is um uh, is is going to fall and i was actually talking to my colleague in moscow earlier today andrew roth who's been reporting on the protests and the scenes that we've seen on tv of of demonstrators being being dragged away and clubbed over the head with batons and so on and um and i was saying well is navalny winning and he says you know from the ground it's it doesn't look that way that i mean the mood is embittered um it's um tense it's grim uh, it's a lot worse than the last major protest that we saw in Russia in 2011-2012, which Navalny actually, that was where he first sort of came to kind of national prominence as an as a activist addressing the crowds. Um, and I, I mean, I think Yuri is right insofar as that Navalny really presents the most formidable challenge to the Putin regime that we've seen in the last two decades. Uh, and the paradox is that actually the, the, the Kremlin has, has made it so because other opposition figures in Russia, whether it's Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the former oligarch, or Gary Kasparov, the, the, the chess champion who lives, in, uh, who lives in New York these days, they've fled. Or people like Boris Nemtsov, the former deputy prime minister, big opposition figure. He was shot dead in 2015, just a few hundred meters away from the Kremlin itself. And so Navalny is the last man standing. And I actually think that Putin, you know, sick or not, has been really vacillating about what to do with this guy, because whatever they throw at him, he, he doesn't break. I mean, they've done various court cases before. He's been locked up. Someone attacked him and half blinded him in the eye. Uh, and then, of course, if you believe Navalny, which I do, uh, last 
somehow Putin gave an order for, for Navalny to be to be poisoned. And certainly the FSB carried out that operation. But through a mixture of, of, of luck um, and good thinking by a pilot who made an emergency landing, he was treated in hospital, he was taken to Germany, and he survived. And so, you know, I, I think even now the Kremlin doesn't quite know, know what to do with Navalny. I mean, they can, they can, they can, he's effectively a kind of hostage, but will Putin kill him uh, in prison? I mean, he certainly can, that, that's entirely possible, but the, these protests are not going away. Um, and so I think we have a standoff, but I, I think the idea that Putin is gone in the next six months, the next 12 months, and that we're in a 1989 scenario, I, I, I'm not quite sure we are. I mean, I talked, um, earlier today to Leonid Volkov, who's kind of Navalny's right-hand guy in exile. And he said, um, you know, we, 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 we are younger than they are, we are smarter, um, historically um, we will win, but it's possible that Putin will crawl on for another 10 years and we may have to wait. So, so how much crawling he will do, I think is unclear. That's, I totally agree. When they say that yeah. Putin is losing it, I mean, his successes will be the FSB, not Navalny, mm -hmm. and it will be worse. It will be the system will stay, but it will be even worse than they have right now under Putin. So I believe it's not Navalny who will be the successor. This is Patrushev and the FSB people who, as I said, they blew up uh, multi-apartment buildings in Moscow in '99. They did the poisoning. Uh, they are basically terrorists. So yes, the system will stay, no question about it. Here's the thing that we haven't put in the mix though. I do believe in our ability, the United States to affect some things here. Um, and I don't think that uh, there's a, I don't think there's as much consternation around that in terms of have there being sort of confusion of what could be possible with Putin or Putin's successors coming up from the group behind around him, right? That has been keeping him in power uh, with Biden and the Biden administration at this and and our new State Department at this point in time, the way there was with uh, Obama, I and uh, so and certainly you know Trump was prolonged things, but I, I wouldn't just take us off the table, have this conversation without talking about us, <laughs> the yeah. United States, and our ability to also work uh, and work with our NATO alliances to, uh, to effectively pressure some change here. And by that, I think the biggest tool, and I was watching this on Table news, and I was stunned because it was just, it was so stupid what people were saying. But, you know, this sort of, oh, is there sanction fatigue? Is there, is, it was as if Steve Mnuchin was whispering in everybody's ears, you know, to get the sanctions off his friends. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing this, those sanctions are going to work. The men around Putin, they, they need those sanctions gone. So even if they want to come in and take his place, I think what they want are the sanctions gone more than any any of that. Mm -hmm. You know, th this this terror mafia intelligence services syndicate cannot use its money. And the more we can keep chopping at that and choking that off, um, and we have great power to do that. The United States and our allies, we have great power to do that if we have the political will to do that. Um, so I just I, I just want to 
not be so dark on a Friday night and say, uh, because we're all in COVID and it's terrible. Um, and you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of doom and gloom, um, especially with what's happening in Russia, especially to the Russian people. I was speaking today, Luke, to, uh, to Zarina, who is a woman I know, <clears throat> she's amazing. And you know, uh, she just it, any anyone you know that's from Russia that's still in contact with their friends there, they're sort of going through hell right now because um, they're watching their friends get thrown into jail and beat up, and it, it's not an okay situation. Um, but don't take us off the table, you guys. I thought you were going to lighten things up there. You, you, you did it. <laughs> well, but, I did it. I feared. You know, I, I, there's I, always got to be a dead body with me. Yeah. See Putin being long of this world, whether he's sick or whether he, I, I just can't. This guy messed up. He messed up with Trump. That was a. That was. That did not work out. Well, did he mess up? I mean, at the end of the day, let's let's talk about this because this is why we were all gathered here tonight. Money. Is you know is is. First, we've got to get to the point of how convinced are we? Are we at 100% yet on is Trump a Russian asset? Because uh, I certainly, you know, I've read both of your books and, and all the way back to collusion, Luke. It certainly feels like there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this man is a, is a Russian asset. But still out there, I hear occasionally from people doubts about this. About this. And uh, I don't know how we get more delib deliberate about it, but go ahead, Greg. Let's not forget that even Kevin McCarthy said he thought uh, Trump was on Putin's payroll. Yeah. And I, I think across the spectrum, people generally agree. I mean, even Republicans, Dan Coats, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, they've all said that at one point or another. Um, they Kevin McCarthy just happens to like it. I mean, that's the problem. Right. Um, but I, I sort of wonder, then. how is Putin going to deal with the reality that he's lost Trump, that that's a, a, he's lost a powerful weapon? I think he got an awful lot out of Trump. But now what does he do and how is he going to deal with Biden? Right, because now he has to face the face consequences of that, right? Right. And if yeah. he wants the, the, the sanctions lifted, he's got to do something. Luke? Well, I, I mean, I, I think actually um, I, Craig is right insofar as certainly the, the view from Moscow is, is that Trump uh, in the White House was probably the greatest espionage operation um, in, in Russian and Soviet history. Um, and w wherever you stand or, or on, on collusion, it's, 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 it's pretty clear that the Kremlin pushed big time through through cyber, through hacking, through conventional espionage. And in, a, in, a, in the very narrow sort of scenario that we had in 2016, this may well have pushed Trump over the line. Um, and but having said all that, actually, um, for, for, for Putin, um, you know, America is the eternal uh, opponent, um, whether there's Biden there or Trump there or whatever. And, and I think to sort of understand sort of the geopolitics, you've got to understand how Putin and the KGB people around him think. And, and they, they think in zero-sum terms. They're not actually interested in, in mutual solutions and deals with the new Biden administration. They um, really want to carry on this unofficial quasi-war with, with, with the states. And I think we saw that in uh, 2020 with this massive cyber operation, cyber hacking um, by by the GRU, our old friends who, who bust into the DNC and were doing this again. And, and so actually this is kind of a priori for Putin. The US is an enemy. Um, obviously he would rather have Trump there. I think probably they, they realized some time ago that, that, that Trump wasn't gonna win again. Um, but, 
I, I mean, I, I don't see um, Putin or the people around him changing their their behavior. They don't like sanctions, but there are sort of two factions. There are there are people who are invested in the West. There are the oligarchs who have assets, bank accounts, um, mistresses, yachts, property in New York, London, Paris, and so on. But there's also the kind of hardcore Silivaki power guy group that Yuri was talking about, the sort of Patrushev faction, who, who actually are not greatly interested in the West. They, they are interested in power. They're interested in uh, keeping control domestically. Um, and they're not in the mood for concessions. Right. Yuri, what do you think uh, the world's going to look like for Putin without Trump? I mean, you know, Trump seems to be setting up sort of a, a secessionist movement. He's not even, he's not even, he's refusing to say that he's no longer the president. He's, he's, he's just saying he's number 45 still. Um, you know, he, he might be thinking about actually creating some sort of breakaway movement. Is, is that something that uh, would interest Russia in any way? Or do you think that's, they're just done with him? They would be interested, and uh, this is where we left off uh, at our previous show. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Trump actually he made a mistake as a Russian asset. Uh, had he stepped down quietly, and if there were no January 6th, he would quietly step down and he would continue his own political movement here, expanding possibly. Uh, with the understanding that he would come back in 2024, uh, he would continue rocking the boat in this country. And this is from Kremlin's point of view, his primary mission um, in the United States. He would have been on the Russian payroll. He would enjoy Russian support. And who knows, maybe in 2024, he would come back. Because, you know, uh, it looks like lots of people in many countries in the United States, like Russia, are very susceptible to conspiracy theories, things like QAnon, etc. But unfortunately, you know, he, he made a mistake, which led to this uh, January the 6th uh, tragedy. And now he, he is what they call in Russia, military pilot who was shot down, shot pilot. <laughs> he has no airplane, he is on the ground, and he, he can do almost nothing. So uh, it was a huge disappointment for Putin, uh, even though, as we discussed, he is losing it anyway. He is thinking about something more urgent than uh, who is at the White House at this point. Um, and Russians, they are desperate right now. You know, they spend too much time, effort, all of their propaganda machine, not just in Russia, but in Ukraine, for example, in other neighboring countries, they were vilifying Democrats in general. In Ukraine, for instance, Russian uh, agents of influence were spreading information that uh, Democrat, Democratic Party, uh, together with some hedge funds and obviously for Soros, Soros is everywhere, they had allegedly robbed Ukraine for $30 billion. And this is required. This is what requires investigation under Trump administration, joint investigation of Ukrainian parliamentarians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the anti-democratic campaign was just horrendous in Russia, and it was led by Kremlin's propaganda. Now they're scared. They don't know what to do. They need to mend fences with uh, Joe Biden and his administration, 
and it explains to me why they were so fast to jump on prolongation of uh, strategic arms limitation treaty. Mm. They, they are very. They seem to be quite keen on 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 this. I mean, they said today that uh, this is Medvedev saying today that Russia is ready to disconnect from the global internet. Um, they really think that there is still a chance that they could get cut off swift, um, and uh, and they'll be cut off from the world's banking. Is that realistic? I mean, is that something that we think might actually happen? Is Medvedev just uh, throwing up some smoke, or is that real, potentially real? I don't know. Any of you want to pick that up? No, I believe it would be a good idea long ago, you know, to cut off Swift, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and then see, uh, they can change. I saw it, you know, uh, like in 82, just overnight, the people in Kremlin became reasonable people. Mm -hmm. It happened the day after Ronald Reagan deployed uh, Persian 2 missiles in Europe in response to Russian SS-20 missile, which had been in place for like four years. And for years, we were talking, talking, they were playing pretending to be crazy, but just missiles deployed, American missiles deployed, they wake up in Kremlin and realize that the flight time is 10 minutes and they immediately become reasonable. This is what it requires right now to show them that if they don't behave less civilized people, there will be consequences and strong consequences. The, I, I mean, the, 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 I was just going to say, the, the uh, crazy thing is that Vladimir Putin doesn't actually use the internet. He, he doesn't have email. He's just given, you know, he, this is part of the problem is that he's informationally isolated and he's sort of told essentially what he wants to hear, which is why he has such a weirdly conspiratorial um, uh, sort of take on, on reality. And he also thinks the web is, is essentially a sort of CIA plot an American device. And I think he'd like nothing better than to sort of build a rival. But, but you know, that, that, that boat is gone. It's not possible. But the, right. the, the Russian internet is massively controlled, actually. Right. Um, certainly when I was there, my, my phone was always hacked. Actually, it's still being hacked in London, but it was <laughs> very rarely hacked when I was in Moscow. And, and just one final irony, of course, is that, you know, Russia was kind of behind and it, 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 all of these tech platforms are, are, are American. But in, in 2016, when, when these GRU operatives basically flooded the zone and, and um, were hacking away and impersonating Americans on, you know, on Facebook and Twitter, Facebook and Twitter didn't notice. So actually being number one isn't always so great. Uh, LB, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on... Um, yeah. On, you know, we used to be quite tough on spies in America. You know, there was a time when we used to hang spies. You know, uh, you think about the Rosen, what, what are they called? The uh, Rosenbergs. The Rosenbergs, yeah. Rosenbergs. And now here, you know, these days we let them become president and uh, and then they get to go to Mar-a-Lago Mar and retire, play lots of golf. What's going on? Okay, we've got some problems. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, because this, this guy is, it's different than being a spy when what you are is born into organized crime and you're a confidential informant mm -hmm. <laughs> that ended up getting hijacked and taken by um, a foreign intelligence service and god knows how many foreign intelligence services i, I it's not like i you know who knows but this it, it occurs to me that donald trump is not the most loyal person nor does he care like anybody could come in and get him out of whatever pickle he might have gotten himself into whether it's with money or women or drugs that it's you know uh, he'll be he'll be your guy too so we have to sort of you know it's that sort of who can know for sure uh thing about oh how can we know for sure well i mean we know 
this. We know he's a confidential informant. We know that. And we know he's probably not going to be prosecuted because of he's probably pardoned himself. I will will stand out on that and not, hopefully, you know, no one else has to be uncomfortable with that. I can stand out on that. And I look forward to discovery if he wants Mm. to come. This is why I always say, come and get me. I'm ready. But, you know, what I want to say, I want to just land this because I don't think we quite landed it. And I want to land it because we have everybody here. So, you know, Luke Harding, you wrote Collusion. You wrote Shadow State. You were in, you have sources. You had a Czech intelligence source. Is Donald Trump an asset according to your work and your sources. Yes, I brought two books with me this evening. What, what, one is sort of Shadow State, my, my kind of new one. Um, and the, the other, I was just reading uh, Comrade Krishkov's instructions, Top Secret Files on KGB Foreign Operations, 775 to 85. It's a great book. And, you know, to answer LB's question about, um, I mean, I think, I think we have to be clear about what we're saying here. And I, th- I think what, what we're saying here is how the, the, the Kremlin, the Soviet Kremlin, and the Russian Kremlin regard Donald Trump. And I think there's no doubt that they regard him absolutely as a kind of confidential contact as a minimum. But, but what, what, what is, it still amuses me is this, this secret memo, which was leaked by uh, Oleg Gurdievsky, um, Yuri's, I guess, one-time colleague who was the deputy resident designate um, in London who spied for MI6, the British Intelligence Service, for 11 years and basically shipped all of these secret um, memos back to, to, to the Brits. And this one from April 1985 is the kind of agent recruitment um, memorandum, what KGB officers stationed abroad were expected to, to, to do. And th- this was actually one of the reasons I wrote Collusion, because I just went through it you know, um, firms, prospects, compromising information, illegal acts, subjects, political views. Um, Is that, that, that mice point- thing, that, that mice ranking that the CIA has in terms of you know, how to choose? It's, yeah, it's similar. But listen, does this ring any bells with you? Um, here's question 4.7. Are pride, arrogance, egoism, ambition, or vanity among the subject's natural characteristics? How are they expressed? And then another one. Subject's characteristics as a family man, for purposes of working with subject, either directly or through his circle, his attitude towards women is also of interest. Is he secretly fascinated by them? Is he in the, ha- in the habit of having affairs with women on the side? <laughs> now, th- th- this was in 1985, you know, the summer of 1985, and the, the, the invite to Donald Trump to come to, 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 to Red Moscow, um, arranged by the KGB, who brought him over was was soon after was a time when actually the KGB was desperate to recruit more Americans. Uh, and I mean, Yuri can speak to all of the, all of this, but I mean, I think there's no doubt that, that, yeah, um, he's, he's a confidential contact. Um, and, you know, I think the cultivation of Donald Trump went through different phases. There was a, there was a period of interregnum in the 1990s, but certainly um, that project was kind of rebooted uh, around about the time that, that Trump was, pushing the kind of birtherist conspiracy theory in about 2010, 2011. And then, of course, we have Miss Universe and, and so on and so on. So, I mean, I think I think we will we will get the answer, not the full answer, but we'll get more of an answer. And 
if the Putin regime ever, ever falls, n not in the kind of Yuri scenario with Petrushev and other hardliners taking over, but if there's a genuine sort of a genuine kind of thaw, I, I would love with all of you to, to go back to Moscow. I'm currently banned, but you know, even on my Zimmer frame to the KGB archives and we, we can wheel out the Donald Trump file, <laughs> which will be bigger, bigger than your studio. It'll be so yeah. enormous. Uh, and I <laughs> think in there somewhere, if it still exists, will 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 be uh, will be a definitive answer. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.